0: Hello, my angels welcome back to another episode i'm so happy that you're here if you're new to the show welcome i'm helen denham i'm a mindset mentor for women and episodes drop every wednesday morning conversations with some of our most empowering thought leaders healers intuitives all things in that realm. So today we've got just another beautiful guest here with us. We have Tracy O'Malley on the show today. She is an Enneagram expert, a business coach, a speaker, and a self-made millionaire determined to help you succeed. Tracy demonstrates how to take the powerful tool of the Enneagram to create the life you deeply desire with accountability and empowerment. She helps us understand how to excel with our natural gifts, how to lean into challenges and live our best possible lives. We talk about uncovering the blind spots that are keeping us from flourishing in life. We talk about navigating change, leveraging opportunity and essentially igniting our passion so while you're listening you can find tracy on instagram at tracy underscore o'malley and i'm at helen denham underscore and at the lifted podcast so hit us up let us know what you're learning and what your takeaways are and as always if you feel like a friend might benefit from what you're hearing please do send it along share the love thank you again for being here sending you so much love as always and gratitude and enjoy the show talk to you on the flip side the first question I always start off with guests is, how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to?
1: You know, I am not like a typical ritual person because, you know, we're going to be talking about Enneagram, and you know, I'm the challenger on the Enneagram, and I feel sometimes if things are too structured, it makes me feel controlled. So I, I really love to let the day kind of start me up. But one thing I do do without fail is kind of before I get get up out of bed, I invite in, it's kind of my meditation practice, I invite in any thoughts, feelings, memories or emotions that are kind of stuck and allow them to be invited in so that I can work through them, process them, feel them, whatever needs to happen um, so that I can step into my calling and the greatest good for myself and anybody I'm supposed to touch that day. The second thing I do invite in is any kind of movement that needs to happen to move those thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, feelings, whatever, so that I also can keep the vessel clear um, so that I can do what I'm supposed to be doing here on earth. And usually when I just, those two things, those are before my feet hit the floor, uh, the the day kind of does what it needs to do.
0: Mm, I really appreciate that. You say that you do that even before your feet hit the floor. Cause I think sometimes people feel pressure. Like I have to do this whole routine, but we can kind of do it from bed in the beginning to just set the intention.
1: Yeah. It it's super helpful. You know, I've tried the whole like journaling and the, the 5.00 AM club. And you know, that wasn't necessarily what would work best for this girl consistency wise. And I think any relationship we have with ourself, with a divine spirit, with people, it comes down to consistency and what works best in keeping cons- consistency and that unconditional commitment to the process. And that just works for this girl. So
0: yeah, what feels easy and feels in flow to you. And you also just mentioned, you know, moving that energy out that feels stagnant. What does that look like for you when you're like really moving it and processing it?
1: It depends on what comes up, quite honestly. I'm a very intense, natural person. I'm an Enneagram eight, I'm damn near 100% Irish. I'm an Aries, I'm a manifesting generator. So there's a lot of intensity that naturally I feel. And I've always loved like aggressive sports and aggressive workouts. And that's great when when you've got anger that you need to move through, but I like anger. I have a good relationship with it. It makes me feel strong and powerful. And so doing that kind of movement isn't absolutely what serves me all the time because the emotions that I have a harder time and don't really love and resist feeling are the sadness. And so when those feelings and memories come up, I really lean into the more calming practices, yoga, walking, a bike ride. Um, I live in Arizona, so I just get in the pool and just walk in the water or I get on my paddle board and kind of just go to the river or the lakes and kind of just let the water movement bring up the feelings of sadness that I have to move through. So it really just depends on what feelings, emotions and memories come up. And I get kind of pissed when it's not anger because I just love that one. Because it makes me feel like I have control and power and invincible, where sadness makes me feel like, shit, like this one's gonna be a hard one for me. I've learned to not resist it so I can move it faster. It doesn't mean that I bypass anything, but you know, what we resist will persist. So I just surrender to the process
0: and let it guide me. hundred percent. I like that you get in water too, in Mm -hmm. conjunction with sadness, because it seems like water is really the way to kind of move out that exactly that healing process. I'm fascinated by, um, the anger and the kind of like power that comes through with anger. I was just having this conversation, I think with Flynn on a previous episode where we were just talking about where, where to place anger and what, what to do with anger. Does it have a place in our lives? Like, how do you perceive that? How do you work with that emotion?
1: I mean, to be honest, like for most of my 50 years on earth, I have used anger in a not healthy way, right? I used it to bypass. I used it to project I used it to put walls up but anger is a definitely a healthy necessary emotion right when used properly Mm -hmm. and so learning how to do that but the reason I loved it is because of the protection and the walls and the, the deflection and the bypassing um but if you've if you've never seen the movie inside out um it kind of really brought this full circle to me it's a kid's movie but i think every adult needs to watch it because there are some of you that are listening right now that have no problem with being in sadness or or any of that and that's a necessary emotion too and some of you like me that are a little fiery love the anger because of the reasons but in order for us to transform and and go through the human transformation process there's a grieving process Of an old identity of things that have gone on of people and places and things we've lost along the way in this journey called life and all of the emotions are necessary for grief we can't just like sit in anger and be like cool we can just push sadness aside and you know it's gonna keep showing up you won't transform you won't get to acceptance and the movie inside out is this beautiful depiction of all the different emotions and they have the little characters and how important they all are And we have to have that contrast. Mm -hmm. We have to have the contrast of sadness and anger and joy and, and hurt and all the things that come in the human experience. And if we, if we try to, you know, get rid of one of them or focus on one, we're missing the joy that comes in the journey on the other side and the lessons and the transformation that, you know, all of you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're into growth and development. And if you really want that, then you can't just pick and choose the parts of it that you want to do if you really want the transformation and take it from a girl who loves to have control over pretty much everything in her life. Um, You aren't controlling jack shit when you do that, so (laughs) it's just, you know, I guess it took me 50 years to figure that one out, but.
0: Sure. Well, I really like that you referred to it as grief because I've been hearing that coming up with a few people. I had a client say, you know, is it normal that I'm grieving my childhood? And we were just talking about how it kind of parallels like women who go through postpartum depression and kind of releasing an identity that they will never have again in this lifetime. But grief cycles is is so interesting. And I love that you're bringing this whole spectrum up because I think when we begin a spiritual journey, a lot of us, it's like, okay, we just have to be kind of peaceful kumbaya, like love and light all the time. But then we pacify ourselves to, to kind of close off this like sacred anger or rage that can come up to, to create transformation and fire. So I would love to hear about your, I guess, spiritual journey over the last, you know, few decades or whatever feels right for you to explore and talk about, like, what has your spiritual journey looked like up until now?
1: You know, I knew as a nine year old, I was a very, very spiritual being and um, knew I had certain gifts that other people didn't quite have. I, I knew that I had insight. Even as a nine year old, I grew up in an alcoholic home, very fiery Irish home, a mom that was beautiful person, but emotionally incapable of much over the age of nine. And so I, I really was fending for myself and, and really kind of playing chess with my life. And I knew at nine years old, I'd already been through a lot. And I remember kind of seeking a divine spirit, you know, I'm Irish. So the Catholic kind of religion was not like shoved at me, but it was what I was exposed to. And I wasn't, it wasn't resonating with me, the organized religion part, but spirituality and a divine spirit and a God of you know, my understanding absolutely resonated with me. And I and I had to believe that all the things I was going through, even at that young age, was gonna matter for something. Now for the next 30 plus years, I tried to play God myself, quite honestly. Like I would trust, and then if it wasn't going my way, I'd be like, you know what, you take your deck of cards, I'm gonna play my own hand, never went well. And at the age of 40, this was 10 years ago, Um, I kind of had this spiritual awakening. Um, I'd been through a divorce at this point. My kids were teenagers, the recession kind of kicked my ass a little bit. Um, I had to close the doors on a different kind of business that I was operating. And then my dad was diagnosed with cancer and died 12 days later. And I just turned 40 when all that happened. And I was like, wow, if this is what life is all about, I'm missing something here. Like this can't be all there is. And I decided that I needed to kind of clean house. You know, the playground you play in really will either help grow you or keep you stuck. And although I had really beautiful people around me, they weren't helping me grow whatsoever. And um, I justified my own crappy behavior because I was better than them, quite honestly. So I cleaned house of everybody in my life, including most of my family, except for my children and decided to uh, get new tools for my toolbox. Because you know, if we don't repair it, we repeat it. And growing up in an alcoholic home, I had a lot of the adult child of an alcoholic kind of things going on. And plus my own uh, relationship with alcohol was not healthy. I had eating disorders, tag teaming me codependency everything but drugs basically I've used to cope with life. And I knew that that wasn't helping me. And I saw my kids start to repeat that. Looked a little different. It was the same package, just different wrapping paper. And I didn't want that for them. And the only way I could at least give them a shot at something different was to show them something different. You know, People that we mentor, people that we're raising, they do what we do, not what we say to do. And I wasn't walking my talk. And so I decided to do that and checked myself into rehab for all those things. Um, I put all the cards on the table. I didn't hide any of it. I'm like this is, this is really what I'm coming for. But this is what's going to take me out. And um, it was in rehab on day two that my therapist that I still see to this day, 10 years later, introduced me to the Enneagram. And I basically went kicking and screaming. I told her to fuck off when she said, please take this assessment. I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I have enough labels coming in here. I don't want another one. Mm. And she was so, I mean, she's so great. She's feisty as well. And she said, you know, the world and yourself have put you in a box. How about you open up your mind because your best thinking has kind of gotten you here. And how about you just open your mind up to a a different process and a different system? I was like, well, touche, she's got a freaking point there. And I appreciated that she wasn't intimidated by my aggressiveness. Hmm. And so it was in day two, 10 years ago in rehab that I was introduced to the Enneagram. And when I got clarity, it was like the first time in 40 years I could exhale because I felt fully seen without the masks, without the anger, without the aggressiveness. And that vulnerability didn't necessarily scare me like it typically did. And so it was, you know, my faith changed in that moment. Next to my faith, the Enneagram is the greatest tool that I use. And it keeps me in faith and it keeps me in a spiritual connection with a God of my understanding. Mm -hmm. And it really hit me when I was learning about the Enneagram, specifically myself, that these aha moments like, oh, crap, I'm raising two children that aren't like me. And I've only been speaking this language the first 15 years of their lives. And no wonder what I feel and and what I feel for them isn't landing on their hearts the way that I intend. Mm-hmm. And so I had plenty of time in rehab to start doing a little digging and quickly realized what my two children were. And I have a two and a seven and I'm an eight mm-hmm. and started kind of deciding when I got home, I would communicate with them a little bit differently. The message would still be the same, but the delivery of it would be different and overnight everything changed overnight and so that's kind of where the the real deeper spiritual journey where i let the divine take the wheel and i quit trying to play god and i really let it work in my favor even through really hard things
0: totally yeah it's a really radical act of surrendering that it sounds like you just gave into to Get to the point of checking yourself into rehab was it people pushing you to go or did you have this wake-up call that was like i need help I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna do this
1: no ironically like on paper i did not look like your typical person that checks into rehab and quite honestly all those people in my life thought it was crazy that i was they're like mm-hmm. you're not you don't have a problem um and and i've realized that you know the bottom that i felt i was at was unacceptable to me um it was unpredictable. And I grew up in that. And I know the damage that did to me and my coping. And although on paper, and I was very high functioning, never missed work, high achiever, you know, did all the things, um, I knew that I was not living out my greatest potential. And I was doing my kids a disservice by showing them that model. And so, no, actually
0: people thought I was crazy for checking in, quite on. Everybody wow. thought I was crazy, everyone good on you for just knowing, knowing it. And you had mentioned kind of a purging of the people in your life as well. And I'd love to know how you navigated that because that seems to happen with a lot of people as they shed this kind of move out of this shell of, of an old paradigm and it can feel maybe lonely or how did you navigate that? It's really hard.
1: And I I've done more of that in the last year, you know, as new levels, bring new devils and new things that you have to confront. And you can't, un, like when you sign up for this kind of work on yourself, you can't unsee a lot of it. And I want you to know, like when I decide to move forward in my life and leave people, places and things behind it, it comes without judgment. Like, I know that like this part of the story is over, um, how they perceive that completely different. Sometimes a lot of times I've been my own family thinks I'm self righteous, or I'm judgy, even though those words have never come out of my mouth. But a lot of times when we step into our own light, at least the version of the light that we are in in any given day, it's putting this reflection in front of people that they don't always want to see. And even if you're not using your your words, energy has no poker face. Your energy has no poker face and that can feel very confronting for people and very intimidating for people and for somebody like me who's very intense naturally throw, you know, next level freaking growth on top of it, it's going to make the room uncomfortable.
0: Okay, checking in for a moment to let you guys know that I'm hosting full moon circles every month. I am so excited about this. I've really been wanting to create a space for us to come together in circle and just talk about what we're navigating together, what we're experiencing and get some clarity in community like that. So I'm going to be pulling Oracle cards for us. We'll do some journaling prompts. We will do a guided visualization journey together, which is essentially a hypno journey. And it'll be an hour long, $15 to join. The next one is on Sunday, October 9th for the full moon, 5 p.m. PST, 8 p.m. EST. And I can't wait to see you in there. So I'll leave the link in the description below. And as always, if you have any questions, just hit me up. I'm here for you. I'm so excited that we're going to have this space to be together. And it will be every month on the full moon. So get ready for that. Okay, thanks for listening back to the episode.
1: And um, yeah, I have i don't have a relationship with my mother today. I don't have a relationship with my sister and about 95% of my family. I love them all very, very much. It is very lonely. Um, I've had this purging of friendships in the last year, like three friends that I never would have predicted um, wouldn't be in my life until I was done here on earth. Sometimes it was their doing without explanation um sometimes it was it was mine um the ego hates it Mm -hmm. you know that's the other part of this is like my ego really wants to know what the hell happened Mm -hmm. um so that I can turn it so it was on my terms or whatever that is but this natural shedding when we grow is part of the process it's like pruning you know the branches of a tree or you know shedding skin we have to we have to does it make you uncomfortable yes Yes, but I have lived enough life to know that sometimes what we're praying for, wishing for, really wanting to manifest, we have to make room for it to park its place in our life. And if you're carrying around clutter in the form of people, places and things and substances and, and nonsense, mm. if you really want that manifested, you have to make room for it. And it doesn't mean as soon as that exits the premises that it moves right in. Sometimes there's a season of silence and the season of solitude and the season of loneliness, quite honestly, that takes place in the meantime. But this is where true faith and the surrender comes in. And I have enough receipts to show that every time that I sit in this and take myself through that grief process, no matter how long it takes, more is always revealed on the other side of it. I'm not saying it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's it's so gut-wrenching painful sometimes. I'm in a season of that right now. It's heartbreaking and I've never
0: felt more at ease, quite Mm. honest yeah they can both exist yeah it's it's reminding me of that saying you know it's just a pain a choice between two pains either the pain of growth or the pain of staying the same and it sounds like you just chose the pain of growth and it's just surrendered to that but I'm so interested to hear too about your journey into faith when you grew up in this Catholic upbringing and and how you developed your relationship with source or God and what that feels like and how you tap into that well what I was you know, exposed to was a very guilt
1: shaming God. That's how it was communicated to me. Right. And it didn't make sense. Cause I was like, if, if this divine spirit is love, shame has no place for this. And, and I'm a straight shoot and call it out like no bullshit kind of girl, as you can probably tell. And I was like, I believe in a spirit, but I don't think the spirit that I believe in acts like this. Yeah. And so, I kind of went on my own journey with it. And again, like I played God from time to time, but I think sometimes we need to be humbled enough to trust that there is something truly guiding us. I don't care what we call it. I don't care what it looks like in, in whatever picture you have in your mind. Um, but it feels like a big warm hug to me. And, you know, I know as a child, there were many, many scary moments that all I really ever wished for was somebody to put me up on their lap, hold me and rock me and tell me everything was gonna be okay. This is really hard, but it's gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And that very rarely happened, if at all. And that's what my my relationship with a divine spirit feels like. Whenever I feel scared, um, even if I'm in a room full of thousands of people, if I'm feeling scared, instead of like powering through like I typically would and you know, put on the face in the front, I excuse myself and go to a bathroom and I sit down on the toilet and I will almost like wrap my arms around myself and, and quietly like, let the divine God spirit universe just embrace me and say, I know this is really scary for you and I've got a view and it's beautiful. Just Mm -hmm. hang in there. I've got you. I've got your back. Mm -hmm. Keep your faith. This is for your greatest good. More will be revealed now let's do this. And it's, it's such a calming moment, even in chaos, even in pain, even in loss that it it constantly feels like this big warm hug, even in the seasons of hurt.
0: Oh, it made me kind of emotional hearing you talk about that because I feel the same relationship, and I just hope that everybody can experience that it's um, at some point in their life because it stays and it's just exactly like this comfort that is always here. That's so beautiful. And
1: it, you know, I know that you're real big on you know nervous system regulation, which you know, if you told me 10 years ago that phrase would even come out of my mouth, and be like, Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> But that whole process that I just took you through, like there have been times I've been back home in Chicago around my family that is, you know, (laughs) very passionate and I can feel my nervous system responding in not a good way and excusing myself just to go to the bathroom. I'm not even peeing or anything. I'm just kind of like letting God kind of embrace me in that. My my nervous system immediately um, gets regulated so that I can deal with whatever I am confronted with and with love and compassion and all the the beautiful things that are
0: part of the human process. Absolutely. What other tools have you had in your tool belt to like build your confidence and to have the courage, honestly, to step away from things that weren't serving you, including your family, all these, you know, external sources that were kind of like pulling from you. How did you have the confidence to, to move through that? You know, I,
1: I've always been like when I'm passionate about something, I think it's also the manifesting generator in me too. like I, if if I'm not passionate about something like I don't care, like I I'm very competitive, but if I'm not passionate about it, I don't need to win. Mm-hmm. But if I'm passionate about it, I will kick your ass. No, question <laughs> about it. like it, it's just going to happen. Um, but the courage and the confidence, I don't know if it's always there. But when I look at my two children who are now twenty four and twenty five, and i know that they're watching me and they're learning from me and what do i want them to take into their relationships their marriages if they choose to you know venture in that area mm-hmm. parenthood if they choose to venture into that er- that area of their life um what am i modeling for them and honestly there is not a soul on earth that trumps that mm. i don't give a fuck who likes me, who doesn't, um, who thinks I'm an asshole, those two and and the way that they operate in their life are proof that I'm doing it right. Hmm. Because they're great human beings, they're hard workers, they're not entitled, they're compassionate, beautiful, service-driven, heart-driven human beings that are doing beautiful things in the world. And so that gives me confidence, like that's all the evidence I've ever needed Because when I told you, if you don't repair it, you repeat it.
0: That doesn't mean just
1: in my life, that meant in theirs. And I was not on my fucking watch. Is that happening? And so that's where the confidence and like, I don't care. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't care. Like, you don't have to like me, but you can't not respect that. Uh Uh-huh. I've been a single mom for 15 of those years and the sole provider, emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually. So Mm -hmm. I've done something right. So anybody that wants to have something to say about it, like, let's, let's keep a little score then (laughs) see where we're at. So that I I would say that probably has what is what has kept me going. And especially in their young adult life, you know, the, the interactions that I have with them and the, the parenting adult children is so different. And, um, that's what really does keep me going though, is seeing mm-hmm. how it plays out in their life and knowing that I broke those
0: damn cycles. I did exactly. It's, this is what I love so much about this work is like, you can see in your timeline, like you, you yeah. broke the chain right there and started a whole new paradigm for your lineage, for your ancestors moving forward. It's like, you just set a whole new precedent, which is so, so powerful or
1: things I will never even get to witness. And that is legacy that Mm. is i mean yeah i will leave a financial legacy too but like that kind of legacy is what matters to me and you know my grandkids my great-grandkids will hear stories about you know lovey you know because that's what my grandkids will call me lovey o'malley that just you know was feisty as hell and straight shooting and this is when she did it and this is how she did it and i'm excited about that
0: Mm, i love that i also just really appreciate that you say, if my kids choose to get married, if they choose to have kids and just take the pressure off of that, I think that's really refreshing. And yeah. you know, everybody listening can hear that just expansiveness because we're in a different time. Now people are making different decisions and learning from our, from our parents too. And whatever yeah, went like, down there, mm-hmm. like
1: have your life, live it. I will love you and support you and be a good human. And that's all I care about. Yeah. The rest falls into place.
0: Mm-hmm. the rest mm-hmm. does
1: fall into place and whatever divinely happens is what
0: happens. And I'm here for all of it. Totally. Okay. So now let's get into Enneagrams. Can yeah. you give us what are Enneagrams? What's going on? Can you just give us the the basics here? And then anything that you want to talk about around this, but what are the basics? What are, what are Enneagrams? How do they originate? Like what's, what's going on?
1: You know, I am a bottom line me kind of girl, and I am a bullet point kind of girl. And if you're one of those that loves to research and needs all the details, I'm just gonna say GTS and Google that shit. Like there's a long, long history of the Enneagram and quite honestly, I don't even care about it. I just care about what's in it for me and what's in it for you, Uh right? And so that's how I teach it today. I'm all about integration. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, like all this information, whether it's human design, astrology, um Enneagram all of it's just information but if you don't know how to integrate it it's just really pointless quite honestly Mm -hmm. and it's it's consumption right information doesn't equal transformation the integration of it does and Mm -hmm. so what I was really passionate about with the Enneagram is it gave me this framework and roadmap and system right And when I was in rehab, you know, when you're unpacking 40 years of trauma, 40 years of dysfunctional family, 40 years of your own kind of crappy decisions, uh, it can be overwhelming to say the least. And what the Enneagram gave me was framework because it's about the motive. It's about why we do what we do, where a lot of the other things are behavior driven. What I loved about the Enneagram, it was kind of like spirituality and psychology colliding into this perfect storm, right? It's just a system. It's not a label. It's not this cutesy fun online assessment. Which, by the way, this is the only flaw in the whole thing for me. Is that it's not like Human Design, where you plug in your birthday and poop, there's your your thing. Right. You know, there there is a a problem with online assessments. This artificial intelligence is so great for some things, but the Enneagram it's not. So just so you know, if you're going to go explore your Enneagram type 65 to 70% of the time, those online assessments are inaccurate, even the paid ones. So you've got two kind of ways to approach this. You go on your discovery process and take your time with it. I was even mistyped with the assessment my therapist gave me. Um, or you have somebody like a guide, like me, that really can take you through the process, but what it does is it, it really nails down your, your one thing that motivates pretty much everything you do. And the one thing that you're most afraid of that you will do anything to protect. Mm. Right. And when I understood this about myself, like, kind of doing the reverse engineering of the 40 years prior, I was like, well, that's why I made that decision. That's why I made that decision. That's why I picked that person. And I was able to take the shame out of it. And look at myself with compassion. Because when you see that, you know, everything that you're doing is to protect this one fear, you you understand why you've made these decisions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, you know, this is where the inner child part comes into play right? Because a lot of times people will say, you know, does your Enneagram type change? No, it doesn't. Like I'm always going to be an Aries. That's not changing. However, the expression of my Ariesness can absolutely change. Same mm-hmm. thing with Enneagram. The healthier we get, the more that we surrender to, you know, a divine spirit, the more that we, you know, lean into the framework of growth in the Enneagram. Um, that's when we start to see the different expression of it. Mm. So the thing that this gave me as well, and it gives what, what now I help other people with and other like teams and organizations and families now, it's, it's so beautiful that more people are adopting this system and framework for leadership in the home and, and beyond. Um, you know, I also not only found compassion for myself, but I, able, I was able to put that lens on for every single person in front of me, especially the ones that piss me off. Mm. and the ones that trigger me the most. Um, this is where understanding the framework of the nine different types come into play. Um, it's first really important to understand yourself. Um, I kind of went off a little messy on this, but I really wanted to let you know, like, this is not just some cutesy little test. Uh Uh-huh. It's not. So anyway, I will tell you, there are three centers of intelligence within the framework of the Enneagram. And if you know, nothing else, honestly, this is the the most important thing that you understand, because it might get a little weird if you start going around telling people like what you think their Enneagram type is, or even asking them what it is, you know, it's kind of like with God, like in a spirituality, it's like we live it, we don't have to preach it. Mm. Right. Enneagram, I was living it for five years before it ever came out of my mouth. I didn't come home from rehab and say, Hey, kids, guess what? You're a seven and you're a two. Never not for five years did I ever mention the word Enneagram, but I started speaking to them as if they were, and I landed, it landed because communication became effortless, um, understanding and, and um, the way that we interacted with each other was more effective. And that came in also understanding the centers of intelligence. So we've got our body, which we've talked a lot about, right? The body is the, the first compass of all things. I think it is where the divine intuition and knowing and all the things come into play. And so often we ignore what our body is trying to tell us. Mm -hmm. That's usually where I check in first, even before I kind of start like asking curious questions of who's in front of me or going off body language. I kind of like check in with my body first, but outside of the body, we have the head where we do our thinking, we have the heart where we do our feeling and we have our gut where we take action and respond instinctually to life. And within those three centers of intelligence are three different enneagram types so in the gut or instinctual center are the eight nine and one um in the feeling or heart center of intelligence are the two three and four and in the thinking or head center of intelligence are the five six and seven now how they operate and what they're motivated by are very very different so the three that are up in the instinctual center eight, nine, and one are all driven by a form of um, independence, needing independence, autonomy, or um, justice or control. Right? Now, even if you're not one of these types, you will lean into that because of the framework and how it you know, works with each other. But for those three types that dominates now how it looks for all three types, very different. Mm-hmm. The eight, which is what I am, are more aggressive to get that we're more external with making sure we have independence and autonomy right that's where the flex came in and the anger is like all right i will not be controlled right Mm -hmm. the nine is called the peacemaker so you can imagine just by that name the way that they um gain independence and control looks very very different and they're more into control of harmony i'm in control of like vulnerability Mm. and then the ones want control through righteousness Right. And they're more internal with it. The nines kind of shut it down. The eights are external and the ones are more internal with it. So, but they're all three motivated the same. The underlying emotion for all three of them is anger. Huh? now, Now the eight external with it, nine shuts it down. One's internalize it. And you're going to see this common little theme in each center of intelligence. Now the twos, threes, and fours in the feeling center, they process and, um, Communicate based on feelings, typically, right? And all three of those types, their main motivator is a need for significance in some way. Now, how that looks for each of those also very different. Twos, the helper, find significance in what they do for other people. Threes find significance, the achiever, in what they do, how they appear in the world, and the fours. I think you're probably a three. Yeah. Um, your energy is very three-like, and then the fours they find internal significance in who they are in this world they're called the individualist all three driven by significance but how it shows up and expresses it expresses itself in the world very very different they look into the past for evidence so their underlying emotion is shame mm. the twos are more external with it like when a two is in a shame spiral you kind of can feel it the threes shut it down they just set another goal they they like the nine shuts down the anger the three shuts down the shame is like i'm just going to get busy and do more things and i know you're a projector so you like to take some action Mm -hmm. right like that's that's very common for a three but the shame is still there
0: Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you're kicking it down the street you're going to catch up to it right yeah good memory by the way i yeah that's the one i'm resonating with the most as you run through these Mm -hmm. and then the four
1: internalizes their shame So like, they think like there's something wrong with them. And so they internalize it and their individualist is like the creative, the most intuitive on the Enneagram actually. Now the five, six, and sevens fall into the thinking center of intelligence and they process and, um, communicate through thoughts and thinking, and they are forward thinkers. They think ahead, like where the, the instinctual center of intelligence is present in the moment reaction, like instincts the heart and feeling center in the past. The thinking center is forward thinking. Mm -hmm. So their underlying emotion is fear or anxiety. Uh Ah, they all three need. um, They're motivated by a need for certainty in their life. Okay, the fives need certainty. They're the investigator. They're the most introverted naturally on the Enneagram. They um, need certainty that they're going to be equipped and capable of resources, energy, and information. That's why they get the name the investigator. Mm. The sixes are the loyalists, and they need certainty that they're not going to be blindsided. Like so, they are big question asks askers. They're great collaborators. They're master troubleshooters because they have thought like ten different worst case scenarios, and that's because of their need for certainty that they're not going to be blindsided. They want they want to be certain that they're prepared and ready.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The sevens very different. They're the enthusiasts, it's I'm raising a seven, they need certainty that all options are available to them at all times, and that they are not going to be put in a box. So -hmm. they can get a bad rap of being unfocused or flaky. Now, because they think so forward, right, that fear and anxiety can kind of start to rear its head. The fives internalize it very rarely will you see a five in fear or anxiety, but Mm -hmm. it's happening. It's like 800 tabs are open. The sixes are more external with it. Sixes are the one type that can go either way. Sometimes they're very internalized and sometimes they're more externalized with it. And then the sevens, just like the threes and nines, shut down the fear and anxiety and just bounce and go to the next shiny object. (laughs) So you see the, the, there is like a system and some framework to that. But why I said the centers of intelligence are most important is if you genuinely give a shit about human beings, which I know you're, if you're listening, you do the art of asking curious questions is really what's going to help you land at least into one of those centers. And if you can at least land in one of those centers, the way that you're able to effectively communicate with people, whether they're people you're raising, you're leading, you're meeting at the grocery store, um, you'll just have a better human experience and people will feel feel seen heard understood and valued and when that is on the table anything is possible credibility and trust and connection and intimacy just is enhanced and that is where all the juicy parts of life are even if it's just a soul connection at a store mm. right and so when we're talking to people i generally will start to ask questions that will allow me to kind of pinpoint who i'm talking to even if it's for five minutes um so that i can at least leave that person better than i found them and at least if if i'm the only person they come in contact with today they're better because of it right Mm -hmm. and any kind of questions i ask aren't necessarily for my sake it's like Every time I'm communicating or opening my mouth or even energetically walking into a room, I think about, like, what's in it for them? What's in it for them? The them that are in the room, the them that I'm going to run into, the them that I'm raising, right? It's not about me. Hmm. I already know how I operate, and I know if I'm left to my own, you know, ways, if I feel vulnerability or betrayal or violation, which is the biggest fear of an eight, I know how I behave in that. So if I am in service and in compassion and what's in it for them, a lot of my walls energetically go down and it and invites people in. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the Enneagram is this though, it's, it's a tool. And had I been exposed to it 15 years ago, I probably would have used it to manipulate, to gain more control. And so with great reward comes great responsibility. And if you really want all the beautiful, beautiful things that come in manifestation and abundance and connection and intimacy. It comes with a great responsibility to use this properly. And when you do though, like the shit that comes to your life, Accelerates, So I'm just going to say that. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, in business and sales and marketing, which I work with a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs and, you know, I'm working with teams at Google and John Deere and like, you know, big, huge companies are now bringing me in. And it's like, you want to build connection. You want to build connection. This is not to get people to do what you want them to do. Mm. I mean, you can, but Mm -hmm. it it won't end well for you. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you, like, Please only use the Enneagram and learn more about it if you want to make this world a better place.
0: Mm, That's a wonderful disclaimer. I really love what you kind of opened up with here is that like human design seems more about how we function um, in the logic way and how we kind of like move and produce. This is the most like heart centered, like emotional one, because even astrology feels more like a map and a mapping and understanding, you know, our soul's journey. But this is very... Mm beautifully in tune with our emotions and, and every, um, you know, archetype that you're describing, if that's the right word is so unique to each person and to have an understanding of where their fear is tells us so much about a person to, to immediately resonate with, yeah, shame and how I, how I move through shame, like really shapes so much of what we do. So how have you applied your knowledge to business, for example, like how do you move through your business and your life now knowing that you're an eight?
1: Well, first of all, like you know, when I recognized that I really only knew how to be an eight in the world, you know, before I even knew what Enneagram was, like when you look at the archetype of the eight, like I was the poster child, like they call us the eight hole. Like (laughs) I I absolutely had, you know, in my unhealthiness. Now I, I use this example all the time. You can have two eights. So, you know, right next to each other and how they express can be very different. And there's, you know, the Enneagram is not complicated but it is complex there's different layers to just being an eight. there's like the instinctual response to life and this is where the psychology part really comes in and this is why this is not just a cutesy thing and this is where the spirituality and psychology kind of really mingle well together and Mm -hmm. you know with the skill sets that i bring to the table like really pinpointing where me as an eight kind of you know, the journey kind of switched and I went into the dysfunctional part of the eight and operated mostly in that and really kind of using this system and roadmap to get back to the innocence before life kind of kicked me in the teeth a little bit and get back to that soul journey and that innocence, but with all the wisdom that we have today. And the beauty of the Enneagram before I get into the business part of it is when you really know that I'm only, you know, one-ninth of the puzzle and i have a lot to learn and the the whole goal is to be able to embody all nine types in some way and some some of the types will be easier to embody than others because of their connection to you because we've got things like wings and growth and stress numbers because it is a little bit of a roadmap. um but the whole goal is to be able to embody the full humans experience and Mm. and this only can happen when we compassionately compassionately learn from other people so knowing that i'm in the instinctual center i have a child in the feeling center and a child in the thinking center i was like wow this was a divine gift because i'm going to learn from these two my son is an empath very sensitive um very you know he he's everything that i resisted Mm. like i used to think compassion was a weakness, like people that were compassionate and empaths were weak, because uh-huh. like, you're just setting yourself up to, to be taken advantage of. And what I learned was that my son is one of my greatest teachers of compassion and empathy. And that I, and I see it now as a strength and my daughter who's that enthusiast, is this free spirited, visionary, anything's possible in this world where I'm so tactical all the time. And like, so the the two of them, I've learned so much from watching them and also knowing the framework, how to, when I see them under a certain level of stress, instead of making it worse and engaging in it and co-signing it, I actually compassionately know how to help pull them out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, how I use this in business, you know, before this last 10 years I was in male dominated industries. Um, I was going to be a firefighter paramedic, I was in the car industry, I sold cars, I had a car transport company, you know, both those industries are pretty much like 95% male dominated. And as an eight, I kind of like that. I kind of like that it's, you know, strong and powerful, you know, that's how I'm naturally wired. Plus I was raised by, you know, a father that wanted a boy. And when I wasn't a boy, like I was raised as though I was a boy, but I was supposed to look real pretty and all those things, right? so i started to take the eight in me and then mask it with all of this other insecurity stuff and so to be in these male dominated industries i killed it i was great I was great you know to be the minority in that and then also not look too bad doing it Hmm. and also having thick skin and can go toe to toe with anyone it definitely worked in my favor as far as my bottom line on a soul line though I was depleted every day because I wasn't living my full human experience. I was only in the the, the walls, right? Because we can use the Enneagram as a wall or as a weapon as well. And for a long, long time, I used it as a wall to protect myself, and I also used it as a weapon to judge other people. Yes, I'm so just how I, this.
0: yeah, totally. Sorry to cut you off.
1: Mm-hmm. No, but like how I use it today, it's like I have to embody the full scope of my eightness. Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa was an eight. She often is mistyped in Enneagram land as a two. But if you know the framework, an eight in a growth pattern looks more 2 like like our line is directly to that. But you put Mother Teresa toe to toe with anyone. She's going to fight. She will fight for the greatest good. She'll tell it like it is. She's not afraid of you. She's Mm -hmm. not afraid of confrontation. Donald Trump is also an eight. That's a little more obvious because he's not the most emotionally intelligent guy. (laughs) Aside from what we think politically, I I don't care. It has nothing to do with politics. Clearly, the man does not use his intelligence when it comes to emotions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa does. I do now. Mm -hmm. I used to kind of operate in the world a little bit more domineering like a, a DT. I did. And it was because of my own insecurity and the walls that I put up and my ego that was running the show. Yeah, I'm still an eight. I still will like I'm the person if you need a fight. I will be that person if you need a body buried. I'm the girl you call. Yes. But how I live in my day is in that compassion and empathy space that an eight in the highest level of growth operates. Mm-hmm. I'm still intense, but the intensity is used for good, not for compensating for um, fear, insecurity, anger, all of that. And so how does that get used in business today? Well, (laughs) I am a leader maker. Uh, you know, that intensity is now used to empower people. And I see things that other people don't, and I will champion people. I am the greatest champion of people, especially the ones that I see things in. And, and usually they're the unsung hero and 10 years ago i started building a network marketing business um i had no intention of doing that i kind of fell into it and like i had you know this was right out of rehab and i had no social network and no experience in this and it's like yeah i'm gonna build this team join my team like seriously i was not a hey girl hey girl like i was not that person but what happened is is I, i could leverage every human being and so one of the the best stats about that organization, which has like 120,000 people in it today. It's it's on autopilot now. I haven't really done anything, you know, as far as bringing my own personal into it for about five years, but I have helped to develop seven millionaires in that organization. And the thing I'm most proud of is it's represented by six different Enneagram types and not one of them is an eight. Huh, cool. So I was able, I'm able to lead anybody in a way that, is best for them. I'm able to help entrepreneurs really nail down, you know, what they want to do. I'm able to help CEOs really bring out the best in the people and communicate in a way where energetically, we're not bankrupting ourselves and we don't have the turnover and people do feel seen, heard and understood. And we don't need as many words or as much conflict. Mm -hmm. And or we have conflict, but it's good, healthy conflict that creates change, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how it gets used today. It's, it's just a communication tool. And whether it's me helping leaders, or me helping families, that's kind of how it goes today. It's, mm-hmm. it's helping people understand their framework using it as a compass to indicate uh, this is me under stress i don't have to pull out the whipping stick on myself but this is how i course correct it fast with compassion mm-hmm. this is what i recognize in you know susie that's working for me when i see this instead of being frustrated and angry at her it's an indicator if she's under stress how can i help serve her better
0: that's so beautiful, especially in a workplace to be like, to not treat all your employees, like on the same kind of like wheel of expectation, but just to know that everybody has a different like fear response and different needs for growth. It's like, it's so powerful and different gifts and different gifts that can help you be a better (laughs) leader. Like seriously, I lack,
1: like, I mean, I can execute, I can make things happen. I'm a big move maker. It's the mundane integrating tasky crap that I can't stand. And I specifically have those kind of people in my life and I like, like, thank God for them. And their gifts are so priceless to me. They think it's like they could do it in their sleep. Mm. And they're like, I'm not that it's not that big a deal. I'm like, you have no idea for me is everything. Whereas when I kind of show up in my intensity and fierceness and protectiveness for a lot of people that feels like, holy crap, like you just moved mountains and to me, like, I can do that in my sleep uh-huh. makes me feel alive. But really not just seeing people, but using and making them feel valuable. Do you know have val- this? I've had the same girl working for me for eight years. Mm. Same <laughs> girl. And she's a two like I could like I could have scared her away easily. But because I so value what she brings to the table that is so different than me. She feels seen, heard, valued and understood. Why would you ever leave? Yes. People don't leave you when that is happening
0: or, you know, I just read some statistic that like, you know, 60 to 80% of people leave their jobs because of poor management and not feeling supported at work. It's not really the job itself. It's the emotions at work that or the money. Yeah. The money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's
1: it's opportunity for growth Yeah, and it's the culture. Yeah. And it's the management a hundred percent. Now I'm going to say like, because I do see a lot of good in people, I do challenge people. I, I am not afraid to go toe to toe and confront people, especially ones that say like, hey, I wanna grow. I'm like, really? Growth is hard. It's kind of like, you know, ladies, we all kind of like want that little round J-Lo booty, <laughs> right? And we don't decide we want it and then go to the gym once and then expect it to happen it's a muscle, we have to build. It is a muscle, we have to build and the only way it gets built is through consistency and an unconditional commitment to the process that it takes to get there and we continuously add more resistance to grow it this spiritual muscle using the framework of the Enneagram is no different. We don't just learn it and say, great, I'm an eight. Yay, I have this strong spiritual muscle and it's just gonna work miracles in my life. No, I've been building this muscle for 10 years. Yeah. It just takes time. Like if you really wanna grow, you have to be comfortable or get comfortable with the uncomfortable parts that come with it.
0: Yeah. It yeah, really this is such is a amazing. potent thing that you've been touching on is like wisdom is knowledge applied. Like if we're not doing yep. anything with the information. I love that this keeps coming up. Yeah, so important. Amazing. Finally, is there any like you know, when you think of how you built such a successful business, like what are some of the pillars that went into? I know you've mentioned consistency, but were there any other like things that immediately come to mind that's like, yeah, this is what helps me build a really successful business.
1: Well, what works for me may not work for you. Mm-hmm. And this is where the the framework of the Enneagram and really understanding myself has helped me because, you know, with, you know, when I got into the online space 10 years ago, building my business, it wasn't as, it wasn't as like everything as it is today. I was, I was really starting it at the come up of online um, marketing and sales and I'm messy as hell. Like I am so like not a structured person and there, there are people that that works for. Um, but really understanding myself, and, you know, when I'm working with somebody and I hear this a lot, I want to speak on stages. I'm like, "Well, why? I'm not judging it, but why? Mm-hmm. And most people have said, "Well, it's because it seems like that's like the level of success, and that's where I can make the most impact." And I'm like, well, not necessarily. For some people that might be true. And so for me, understanding myself, although you can put me on a stage in front of 20,000 people and I'll kill it, I do. It's not my favorite thing to do and i don't feel the intensity of the experience because i don't see the transformation i love being in the trenches with people and i know this about myself because of the framework of my enneagram type and not just being an eight but like my instinctual response to life and so i have built a business that gets me in the intensity of an experience with people whether it's a ceo and their executive team or a family unit or group coaching or anything like that and what happens for me building a business because of my intensity of experience the way that i get marketed is word of mouth Mm -hmm. and that works for me and you know for me to be working with teams like google and john deere and youtube it wasn't me being on instagram it was somebody saying i have this secret weapon her name's tracy and you need her Mm. And i've been okay with that even with all the noise on launch plans and all the things that build a strong business and i'm not knocking it yeah like if you are that way have at it that won't work for this girl
0: Mm -hmm. and i
1: had to be okay with that and lean into where i make my biggest impact where i am in my flow and the minute i stopped trying to do what isn't me and really just harnessed what i am and it's like this is what i am this is where i work best this is where i make the most impact those companies i i i i'm so busy uh-huh. and, it's, and i love it i the less i'm online the more successful i am becoming because i have really allowed myself that that isn't the same for everyone so but mm-hmm. you have to really not only understand yourself but love yourself for that have compassion it's like okay well these are my strengths i'm gonna we're gonna double down on my strengths Yeah. Where I am not strong, I'm either going to have people that can help me integrate that or God forbid, this girl has to ask for help, which is very hard for me, but I am because there are certain areas of my business where I can't make the impact because my calendar is too full. Yeah. And so I'm having to lean into the vulnerability that I don't love to do and ask for help. It, It all came. The reason I've had success is because I fully understand who I am. I appreciate who I am. I know where i'm not strong and i have people in my life that not only do they have those strengths but i trust them which is hard for me to do Mm -hmm. i have specifically found people that i trust with my life that have strengths that i don't and it's a win-win for everybody because i certainly have strengths that they don't yeah and those kind of collaborations are priceless in your life and will allow you to step into your gifts And the calling on your life which takes us back to the very beginning of this conversation before I get out of bed every morning. And I ask myself what thoughts feelings emotions or memories need to come up that are kind of keeping the clutter or that I need to move through so that I can step into the calling on my life and the greatest good for all that I touch.
0: Amazing. Oh, I love that so much. It's very refreshing and freeing to hear you talk about it like this, just to release us from not all fitting into the same framework. And we all are so unique and and moving out of any pressure, like your word of mouth, maybe mine is like emailing once in a while. Everybody's different. Everybody shows up differently. So that's, it's very refreshing to hear you say that and yeah, validating. And not all success
1: shows up on a spreadsheet or a PL and l statement. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the biggest success I have is in the other room honestly, the biggest success I have is in the other room doing beautiful things in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, my bottom line is great, too. Yeah, my health is great. But when we are in our zone, and, and honoring our zone, everything else, like I said, does fall into place. But you have to honor the process. And it isn't easy. And it's messy. And it's uncomfortable, especially with all the nonsense we see online, and the comparison that you can slip into, you gotta you gotta quiet the noise, and really get back into your body. Mm. And your body never lies and the body never forgets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so really regulating that nervous system so you can hear it and, and feel it very clearly is very, very important to this whole process too.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I just last note, I'm I'm just noticing this, you know, I've been asking for my manifestations to come in to say, Oh, like I want this many clients a week. I want to be making this much. But like my lesson recently has been like, you don't know your limit until you hit it. And I'm like, my nervous system is kind of shutting down. I had a little breakdown. It's like, Well, the universe is not going to give it to you until you create space for it and really get to know yourself and your needs and explore that and then expand from that place. Not, it's not going to get packed in more to stress you out even more. So, well, and even asking yourself, Mm -hmm. why do you want to make that much? Like, what Mm -hmm. is it about
1: that number? That is like the magic number for you. Cause I mean, who doesn't like to say I'm a million dollar a year, a million dollars a year. Like who doesn't love that number, but why do you want that number?
0: right this could be a whole other podcast right, about, exactly. like freedom because it's all about freedom to me and where am i getting that but yeah i feel totally you. get it
1: i mean i'm a girlfriend this girl my i have the biggest ego on the planet if i'm not careful and, and the ego is there to keep us safe
0: mm-hmm. and protected
1: so it's just how we use it S- some same thing with like the anger but i really like asking myself when i put this like these these numbers on myself or these metrics yeah. on what I, I am. like, why do I, why is that important to me? Yep. Is yep. it about the number? Is it about the ego? Is it about comparison or is it about freedom? And what does that freedom actually mean for me? Mm-hmm. And yeah. when we get to that place, then we can come at it from a place of service and compassion and honor and love. Mm-hmm. And then it's easy. Yes. Big time. It, it
0: gets a lot easier. Yeah. Tracy, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. I'm, I'm really excited to just research this more and just take a look at your programs too, and just understand this more. Cause immediately when you were describing a three, I was like, ping, like that made a lot of sense. And I, I am I'm imagining that a lot of people listening can, can relate to a lot of what you just said and your explanations of that. So how can people find you and work with you if they'd like to explore you and your offerings more? Well, my website is sucks. Just gonna play
1: it. It's it's old, it's outdated, but you can contact me there. It's in the process of getting an overhaul finally. Again, not a strength asking for help, and I've needed help on it for five years. Um, so go to com. I do have a podcast called The Leadership Formula, which it's about all the stuff we just talked about, the full range of Enneagram, nervous system regulation, inner child work, because it's all tied together you know, the the journey of life is spiritual and psychological. And, you know, my goal with you is to help bring them together in this perfect storm so that you can step into the calling of your life. Um, So check that out if you're intrigued at all. I I do cuss as I have here. So if that offends you, probably not the girl for you. (laughs) Um, I'm also on on Instagram, Tracy underscore O'Malley. Um, Not the most consistent poster, but like there's good shit there.
0: So go check it out awesome. Thank you again. I'm so grateful for you. I'm excited to listen back to this and just absorb even more. So thank you. Have a beautiful day. All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. Couple more notes on my end. I have a free workbook for you. It is five tools that you need to start your subconscious healing journey. They are really beautiful introspective workbook prompts for you to navigate. That's also linked in the description below, so enjoy that. And then for everything else just head over to helendenham.com if you've been curious about working with me in a private one-on-one mentorship you can explore that offering Um, reminder about the full moon workshop coming up on sunday october 9th that's going to be so fun and uh, i think that's it for now i love you so much have a beautiful rest of your day or your evening wherever you are thank you for being here and i'll talk to you next week bye for now